0: of uh, what we started last week on Easter Sunday. And the our title of our message last week was uh, uh, The Gospel's Greatest Gift. And the Gospel's greatest gift is the gift of God to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Let's read that together. It's on the top of your message guide. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So this is the gospel. Christ died Christ was buried, Christ rose again. And so we're going to look at these three aspects of the gospel. Starting today, we're going to look at our death, the passing of the old. The old has passed away. Now, there's another scripture I have there, and it's very important for us to understand this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, and I always tell you this, find out why the therefore is therefore, Right? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The therefore is therefore because, Paul is saying, it's not by works. Abraham wasn't justified by his works. Abraham was justified by his faith. And so it begins with our faith, our justification. What does that word justified mean? Just if I'd never sinned. It's not because I work to get to that place, it's because God in His grace has justified me by faith. So everything we're going to talk about today, it begins with faith. It's not about you trying hard, working hard, sweating really hard to make this happen. We are justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, I ask today that as we look at your word, Lord, as we look at the gospel of Christ, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, open our hearts and open our minds, that you would illuminate this word, God. Lord, this is the living word. This is the inspired word. This is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. We thank you for that power. We thank you for that word. And we thank you for your spirit that lives in us to reveal the truth, to make Christ known, to conform us, to renew our minds according to the image of Christ in us, the hope of glory. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the gospel. Christ died. This is the gospel. Kind of funny. How can death be good news? We don't think of death as good news. The Bible says the last enemy that's going to be put under shall be death. Yet, the reality that Christ died, death in the gospel is good news. Go to Romans chapter 6. You're going to have a lot of scripture today. So I hope you brought your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. Bring your notebooks. I give you a message guide every week, but come ready, okay? I like what, uh, what was that quote today? Who's got that from this morning's Bible study from the Archbishop of Canterbury? Do you remember what that quote was? The pastors are called to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. That's what it was. (laughs) Pastors are called to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. So come ready to eat, okay? Come ready to be fed. in our feast and our food is the Word of God. Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin." Now, I believe firmly that one of the greatest problems in the church, one of the greatest issues that that the church is dealing with is an identity crisis. People come to church. Some people spend most of their life coming to church week in and week out. But there are too many people that have spent too many years in church and they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't really understand what the salvation that has been provided through Jesus Christ has truly accomplished for us. And we live with an identity crisis. We live never understanding what has truly transpired at the cross of Christ, in the burial of Christ, and in the resurrection of Christ. This is the gospel. And the gospel is more than just the promise that one day when I die, I'll go to heaven. Whether I just barely make it or not, or as long as I get there, I don't care. I just want to get there. Uh, That's a a gross misunderstanding of of what has transpired in our salvation. And I have purpose to spend the rest of my life on this earth trying to correct that. This is what God has called his men and his women to preach the gospel. This is why the gospel must be preached. This is what the gospel is about. It is to give us a revelation of Jesus Christ and what has transpired in that salvation that is so great. Great that God has provided for us. Amen? So here Paul is saying the old man was crucified. The good news for those who have been crucified with Christ is that the body of sin is done away with, thus making us free from sin. And here's the principle found in verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Because sin has no power over a dead man. He doesn't. So this is the gospel. Christ died. Go to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to be between Romans and we're going to kind of have our base in Romans. But, so don't lose Romans and let's go to Galatians chapter 2 verse 19. Galatians 2.19, Paul writes, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Now, let me just give a shameless advertisement right now for the Not I But Christ Bible study because... For all you people that are going through the Not I But Christ Bible study right now and those that have been through it, this, this is very familiar ground to you. The problem is, in a 45-minute period on a Sunday morning, we don't have time to, to, to really get into. This is, you can't just, you can't become a disciple just by coming to church on Sunday morning. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you or anything, okay? I'm really not. But to feast on, what if you only ate on Sunday mornings? What if the only meal you ever ate was Sunday between 10 and 12? What do you think your life would be like if you only ate one time a week? You'd be kind of malnourished, wouldn't you? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I eat a whole lot more than once a week, okay? Matter of fact, every time I get hungry you'll find me foraging somewhere, food isn't here. It's just what we do. But why is it that we approach, we look at our spiritual life and we approach our spiritual life differently? There's a reason why Jesus is called the bread of life. There's a reason why this is called our food, our meat, our drink, the word of God. And so I just want to challenge you. I want to make you feel guilty. Don't, don't be guilty. You, you don't eat because... How many of you just eat because you have to? You just hate to eat. And you only do it because you have to. Is there anybody here like that? Well, if you are and you don't want to admit that, you know, I don't know, maybe we should pray for you. But I would venture to say probably most people eat because they want to eat or they enjoy eating. And my prayer is that we would gain an enjoyment of feasting in the Word of God. That we wouldn't read the Bible because we feel like we have to. Or God's going to be angry with me if we don't. He's not going to be angry with you if you don't. But you're going to become a very malnourished person, spiritually, if you don't develop a hunger for the Word of God. You say, but you know, every time I try to read, I just can't understand it. Well, you know... There's kind of a a long answer to that too. But the bottom line is, it's not about what we understand up here, it's it's what we discern here. It's a spiritual thing. And if we just try to force it in up here, but we have no hunger here, it's not going to work real well. So develop a hunger. Develop a taste for The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul says, I died. He says, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. You know, the law was never given to us as a way to become righteous. The law is the standard of God's nature, His righteousness, His holiness. But God didn't give us that law so that we could live up to that standard. He gave us that law to show us that we can't live up to that standard. The law was given to us to kill us, to condemn us, to bring us to utter hopelessness. The law is not bad, but it does what it does very good. It sets a standard so high that if I really look at this, if I really consider this, it brings me to utter despair and hopelessness, and it will ultimately kill me dead. This is what Paul is saying. I died I, through the law, die to the law. Why? That I might live to Christ. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what Paul is saying in, in Romans. If you were baptized into the death of Christ, if you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. You died with him. And if you died with him, sin has no power over you anymore because sin doesn't have power over a dead man. Paul says, I died, through the law, I died. I was crucified with him. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. The fact that Christ died, this is the gospel, Christ died. And it's very important that Christ died. Because our death, our crucifixion hinges on His. And if Christ didn't die, we don't have any good news. There is no good news for me to impart to you today if Christ didn't die. But praise God, He died. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one, that is Christ, died for all, then all died. That's a truth right there. It's a very important truth. If one died, then all died. It's a very important truth. and We'll look at why this is an important truth in just a moment. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So we have those who died, we have one died for all, and all died, and we have those who live. So he's talking about death and life in the same breath here. And this is important because Death and life are linked together as one when we talk about death in the gospel. Then he says this, therefore, why is the therefore? Therefore. What's he saying to us? He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He's talking about those who have come alive in Christ. Those who are now alive in Christ, those who live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them, that's Christ, and rose again. Those who live in Christ from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, there it is again. Therefore, because we know no man according to the flesh, because those who live, we don't regard them according to the flesh. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does that mean? Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So those who are a new creation in Christ, what does the Bible say? It says, the old things have passed away, behold, some things have become new. Is that what it says? Now old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So if I died with Christ, and I'm raised with Christ, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. What's happened to the old? It passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This describes you if you are in Christ. Now, Why is this important? Well... We're going to get to that over the next today and the next two weeks. So, in Christ, we are what? A new creation. So, the cross, listen, the cross brings about the crucifying of our flesh. What happens when, when someone's crucified? Do they come off the cross alive? Did Jesus come off the cross alive, or was he dead when they, he came off that cross? He was dead. I don't know of anyone who was ever crucified and came off the cross alive. So if our flesh is crucified, what's the point of the crucifixion of our flesh? It is to do what to it? To kill it, to put it to death. So the cross brings about the crucifying of our flesh. The Bible calls the flesh also the body of sin. This is what Paul says in Romans. We, We have been delivered through Christ from what? From this body of sin. So the cross brings about the crucifying of our flesh, the body of sin, making way for what? A new creation. If any man be in Christ, how did I come to be in Christ? Well, I didn't get there, but through the cross. So the cross brings about a new creation. Unless we experience his death in the cross, we cannot experience his life in his resurrection. There is no resurrection apart from the cross. There is no life apart from death. There is no new life. There is no new creation apart from the cross and our death and our crucifixion. can't happen. Are you beginning to see why death, Christ died, is good news? It's good news, church. So no longer known in the flesh. This is what Paul says. We therefore know no man any longer according to the flesh. Why? Because What happened to the flesh? From Paul's perspective, from the Scripture's perspective, based on what Jesus did on that cross, what happened to that flesh? Died. died. It was crucified. Paul says we, we, don't, we don't recognize anyone. They're, they're dead. They're buried. They're gone. We don't know anyone according to the flesh any longer. If a man is in Christ, he is a... New creation. So no longer known in the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, remember I tell you guys this all the time go through your New Testament and highlight everywhere you see the phrase in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You're going to begin to see that everything we have is where? In Christ. There's a a reason why. The scripture communicates this. So no longer known in the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all Things have become new. Where do all things become new? In Christ. Where do I become a new creation? In Christ. Where is my old man of sin put away, crucified, killed? In Christ. Yeah, I'm crucified with him. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. If we don't identify with his death, at that cross, we, we, we have, there is no good news for us. And so how do we come to be in Christ? This is a question I'm asking. How do we come to be in Christ? Because it's an important question. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So if the only way we can become a new creation is in Christ, it behooves us to find out how we get to be, be in Christ, right? So how do we come to be in Christ? The beginning of coming to be in Christ is our end. The beginning of coming to be in Christ is our end through our death in His cross. So, before I can have a beginning in Christ, I must have an end. My end begins in the cross. And my Beginning begins in the cross. Does that make sense? Are you, are you tracking with me? I have to come to an end before I can have a new beginning. So our end, the beginning of that is through our death in his cross. The beauty of the cross is that it is our end leading to our beginning. The end of the corrupt old and the beginning of the glorious new. The corrupt old is crucified, killed. Next week, we're going to talk about the second aspect. Christ was buried. We're going to talk about why it's important for us to be buried also. So the beauty of the cross is that it is our end leading to our beginning, the end of the corrupt old and the beginning of the glorious new. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 verse 23 John 12:23 Now I'm going to read from 23 to 33. So let's read this together. John 12:23 But Jesus answered them saying The hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You guys ever planted a garden? So if you plant a kernel of corn, you you ever buy seed, bulk seed in, in a nursery? From one kernel of corn, you get one stalk of corn, right? How many kernels of corn exist on that stalk of corn that came from the one kernel? You can't count them. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, unless a grain of wheat, you ever seen wheat? They're, actually, they're, they're planting a lot of wheat around here now. They used to years and years ago. And, and there are a number of wheat fields. Grow, you should go look at, go, if you just take the time sometime to stop and look at A a, a stalk of wheat, a head of wheat. So from one grain of wheat is this stalk of wheat growing that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of grains of wheat in the head. This is what Jesus is talking about. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, what's he talking about here? Is he giving them an ag lesson? Who's he talking about? Huh? Who is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about himself. He says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. What's fixing to happen here? By, by the time we get to John chapter 12, I mean, he is right around the corner of his crucifixion. I mean, it's coming. It's right there. It's at the door. And he's preparing his disciples. He's saying, now the time has come. The time has come. The hour has come. He's waited since eternity. He's the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to do what? To redeem us. Jesus said, the hour has come. We're not looking years or decades into the future, not the day, but the hour. This is the hour. You women that have given birth, I mean, the hour has come. That baby is coming. That birth is getting ready to happen. We're not... Weeks away, we're not days away, the hour. We're not hours away, the hour, it's here. This is the time. He is talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about the very reason he came to this earth, to die. To die on a cross, to be buried, and to rise again. For us, this is the gospel. So he says, this is, this is it, man. He said, if a grain of wheat... Falls to the ground, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's a lot of people trying to hang on to their life here. Oh, they love their life in this world. But I'm going to tell you what, there's, going to, there's coming a day, I hope, when you will realize that your greatest desire is to shed this life in this world. And to embrace the life that God has for you, which is the life of his son. And this is what Jesus is saying. Lose your life. Be willing to lose your life. Be willing to let go of your life. Because in letting go of that life, the life in this world, you will gain eternal life. So he goes on. He He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Where was he going? If we're going to follow Jesus from this point, if I'm going to follow Jesus and and I'm going to go where he goes, guess where he's going? Before he went into the tomb and before he came out of the tomb, where did he go? He went to the cross. And the cross spoke of the same thing for Jesus as it speaks to us. The cross spoke of his death. Do you know what the cross speaks of for us? It speaks of our death. That where I am, my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, you're both wrong. Well, he didn't say that maybe, but that's what he meant. He says, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. In other words, I, I, God didn't. the Father didn't say that for my benefit. He said it for your benefit. For those who have ears to hear, you notice some heard and some didn't hear. It's the same today. Some hear and some don't hear. Some see and some don't see. Now look at this, verse 31. Here's where I'm going to right here. Now. Everybody say now. When is now? It's now. So when Jesus said now, was he talking about 2,000 years in the future? No. Now is now. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I, who's I? Who's speaking here? Jesus. If I am lifted up from the earth, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. Your Bible might say all peoples, all men. It's italicized. Because it wasn't there in the original language, but it's there to give us a context. I will draw all men, all peoples. I will draw all. What's all? It's all to myself. Then the next verse says this. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. What is this scripture speaking of? It is speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus The Son of Man, the Son of God, being lifted up from the earth. If I be lifted up from the earth, he's talking about his crucifixion. In that crucifixion, I will draw all peoples, all men to myself. What in the world is he talking about? What are we talking about? This is the gospel. Christ died. Christ died died. That's the good news. Christ died. So in the cross, Christ judged the world. How do we know that? Because that's what Jesus said. Now is the judgment of this world. In the cross, Christ judged the world and executed in himself that judgment of death so that we could be crucified with him. If you're my servant, you will follow me and go where I go. If any man, Luke 9, 23, If any man desires to be my disciple, let him take up the cross and follow me. If I take up a cross, where am I going? I'm going to my end. I'm going to my death. That's not bad news. That's good news. So in the cross, Christ judged the world and executed in himself that judgment of death so that we could be crucified with him And with that crucifixion comes the promise of what? What did Jesus say? If you're trying to hang on to your life in this world, you're going to lose it. But if you'll let go of your life, you will gain it for what? Eternal life. So with the promise of being crucified with him is the promise of eternal life in him. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now... Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. What is significant about that? Well, we need to know who Jesus is, right? What does the Scripture tell us? What, what does the Scripture tell us about Jesus? Who does it describe Jesus to be? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. This is 1 Corinthians 15. This is commonly called the resurrection chapter. Paul is dealing specifically with the doctrine of the resurrection. And in his dealing with this, verse 45, Paul makes this statement. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So we have the first man, Adam. He became a living being. The last Adam... hmm. Who is the last Adam? Who is the first Adam? Adam. Who is the last Adam? Jesus is. The last Adam became a, not a living being, but a life-giving spirit. Then he says this, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. Well, that's a principle there that holds true. How many of you would say, I know I have been born again of God. I'm born again. Which came first, your natural birth or your spiritual birth? This is why Jesus said in John 3, 3, you must be born again. Verse 47, the first man, who's that? Adam was of the earth. Remember, God breathed life into that dirt and, and made him a man, a living being. Was of the earth made of dust. The not the last man, but the second man. I wonder why he says second man. Have you ever noticed that? What does last signify? Is there any after the last? Are there any after the second? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it does what? It multiplies. There's a reason why Jesus is called the last Adam. He is the last Adam. What's what's the problem with Adam? How many of you here were born of Adam? Adam. Well, every hand in the house should go up right there. Because if you were born a natural birth and you're a natural human being, you were born of Adam. You, your daddy is the first man of the dust. And you bear the image and you bear the nature of that man, Adam. And what is the nature of Adam? Is it fallen? Oh, it's fallen. So we've got a problem, right? I'm a, I'm a natural man with a fallen nature. Can I become acceptable to God if I work really hard in my natural nature, bearing the image of my first daddy, Adam? No. Something's got to happen. Adam's got to come to an end. We need to kill Adam. And that's what God told him, right? You eat of this fruit, you will die. God deferred the judgment, and he deferred it all the way to when Christ came and Christ took in himself the judgment promised to Adam. But he didn't just take it by himself. He says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all to myself. I am the last Adam and I'm going to draw all who are of Adam into me and I'm going to bring an end to that man, to that fallen man. He was the last Adam, but he was the second man. Now look what it says, the first man was the the earth, second man is the Lord from heaven. As the man of dust, as was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Well, that's all of us, right? And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. How do you become heavenly? You got to get in Christ. For by grace, through faith, you were saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't get there by working hard. You get there by faith. This is why I read to you Romans 5.1. Therefore, we are justified by faith. Christ did the work at the cross. What we've got to do is by faith identify with that work. I've got to be Crucified with him. I've got to be buried with him and understand what he has accomplished for me. So Christ is the last Adam in the second man. Christ crucified as the last Adam is the end of the first Adam or the first man. And as the second man, he is the beginning of a new man, or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the beginning of a new creation. The new man replacing the old. So at the cross, what Jesus did was replace Adam. He got rid of the first Adam. He became the last Adam. But at the same time, when he came up out of that tomb in resurrection power, he didn't come up as the last Adam. He came up as the second man. He was the grain of wheat that went into the ground and died, and now he will multiply after his own kind. So if you plant a corn seed, what kind of plant do you expect to get? A corn plant. When the second man was resurrected in power, did we get more of the the first man or more of the fallen man? No, we got the second man multiplied. So all who are born again of the Spirit, who now bear the image of the second man, guess what? Who have you been born again after? Whose likeness do you have now? Your first daddy, Adam, the man of dust, or the second man, the Lord from heaven. If you've been born again, you bear the image and the nature and the life of the second man, the Lord from heaven. Amen? Amen. Do you see why it's imperative that you die with Christ? That you, Paul says, that you see yourself crucified with him, that you know that you have been crucified with him. Because if you have identified, if you've been buried with Christ, baptized with Christ into his death, then you shall be raised with him into his life. You went down as the old man Adam, the man of dust, but you came up as the second man, the Lord from heaven. You bear the image of the second man, of the Lord from heaven. You don't have the nature of Adam any longer. You now have the nature of Christ, the life of Christ. You've been born again, Peter says, of an incorruptible seed. An incorruptible seed. So Christ crucified as Adam crucified in the end of the first man in his nature through the death of the cross. So what does the cross do? The cross frees us through what? Through death. The cross is the door out of the old and into the new. Our death through the cross frees us from the old and makes possible our entrance into the new. Go to Romans chapter 7. Now, this is where we are right now in our Not I, But Christ study. Tonight, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about the story I'm getting ready to read to you. This section of Scripture from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Now, I told, I told the Not I, But Christ uh, group... You know, for years, I read this section of Scripture and totally missed, completely missed what Paul was saying here. But if you read the Scripture in context, you can't miss it. I, I don't know how in the world I missed it, but I missed it. Paul doesn't change subjects, and, and, and now he's, oh, oh yeah, I was going to talk to you guys about marriage. Let me, let me just take a break here from talking to you about being justified by faith. In identifying with his death, and let me let me just touch on marriage real quick, and then we'll go back to our other subject. That's not what Paul did here. So let's read the scripture together. Romans chapter seven, verse one. Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law. Now, if we don't know the law, we might we might be some misunderstanding. But but Paul's going to fill us in here, right? Do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies... She is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Now, I'm going to read a little story to you here. Bear with me, okay? This is from Watchman Nee, and it's just an anecdote about this section of Scripture, okay? Watchman Nee explains this wonderfully in the following anecdote. Imagine a wife that, has, that is married to a husband named Law, Okay? He is a very good man. He is very particular and very precise, but also very good to her and always acts righteously. He is a perfectionist and is incredibly consistent, but he is very demanding and wants everything to be done perfectly. And yet you can hardly blame him because everything he wants and expects from his wife is very good and perfectly legitimate. There is nothing wrong with the man and nothing wrong with his demands. Now, I'm going to tell you guys right now, don't get any ideas, okay? Because you are not Mr. Law, okay? The problem lies with her. She is inconsistent and careless and weak. She wants to do what her husband desires but has found their marriage to be incredibly frustrating because she is never able to do it. She knows she makes so many mistakes and knows that he has a right to demand these things of her, but that doesn't make it any easier to live with him. The two are a horrible match, and the woman is in terrible despair and frustration. What she really wants is to be married to another man, she knows. She knows a man who is equally good and consistent and has the same requirements. But everything he expects of her, he also gives her the ability to do. Every weakness of her he makes up for with his strength. Every failure of hers becomes a place for him to help her succeed. She knows that she is unable to change because she's been trying for so many years. If only she could marry this man who would help her become everything she knows she should be. But alas, she is bound to another. And the only way that she might be free from her covenant with him is if he dies and he looks very healthy. Mr. Law is not going anywhere because the righteousness described by the law is not going anywhere. It is the eternal standard. What can she do? How can she be freed? Well, there is one thing that she forgot. It's true that death is the only way to sever this covenant. But she forgot that she could get out if she died. And this is exactly what Paul tells us in the very next verse in Romans 7.4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. Do you see it? You are the woman. The first husband is the law. And Christ is the second husband. And the fruit is the increase of Christ, the harvest of the seed. The law doesn't die because the righteous standard of God doesn't change. But when we die with Christ... We are no longer bound to it because we now come to share the life and nature of the very lawgiver himself. We have received the life of the one who is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness. The fruit of the spirit against such there is no law. So Paul uses marriage to teach us. That we are that woman. And the first husband is the law. And Christ is the second husband. And the only way we can be freed from the works of the law, of trying to be justified by the deeds of the flesh, is to be crucified with Him. And when we die with Him in His death, He raises us up and we are joined to Him. And we become married to another. We become married to the very lawgiver himself. Hallelujah. You are crucified and set free through the body of Christ on the cross. In his death, you are free to be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Look at Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Through the cross, you have been delivered from Adam through death. Now, through faith in Christ, you have been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ in the power of his endless life. Now, rather than living under the law and the power of the flesh, You can abide in Christ through the power of the Spirit and bring forth the nature and the fruit of Christ, which is the only acceptable life to the Father. Christ died. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Because unless Christ died, we cannot die. Without Christ being crucified, our death has no meaning Our death is just simply a death. But when we are crucified with Christ, when we are baptized into His death, we are raised in His life. Through the cross you were forgiven, but only in that you were crucified, in that you died with Him, so that you can walk in the newness of His life, free from the power of sinful flesh. This is good news. Amen. Now next week, it's real important, I I really want to encourage you guys to make all of these teachings because they build upon one another. And we can't talk about being crucified with Christ without talking about being buried with Christ and understanding what it means to have that old man, that sin man, put away, done away with. And this is what the burial speaks of. Amen? Let's all stand.